Welcome to the Philip Wiley Show. Take a look behind the curtain of professional hacking and hear compelling discussions with guests from diverse backgrounds who share a common curiosity and passion for challenges and their job. And now, here's your host, offensive security professional, educator, mentor, and author, Philip Wiley. Hello and welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm very excited to have one of my community friends joining today, Julian. Uh, we knew each other from social media, but hadn't met in person. But at Atlantic Security Conference, uh, we got to meet for the first time. And I was kind of sharing with Julian about the new podcast. And uh, we finally got the schedule worked out and, and have Julian joining today. And so uh, great to have you join. Thank you. Really, really happy to be here. First of all, is that your voice on the intro or is that somebody else's voice? Because it sounds that, that, not like you. That's someone else's voice. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> yeah, that was Fiverr. Yeah, I found a nice intro. What needed a nice intro, and me doing the intro wouldn't sound so good. I don't want to scare people off, so at least they hear that good <laughs> that that nice voice coming in. It won't scare them off right away. So perfect, perfect. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. It was it was cool to to meet up in Halifax. Um, you know, I, was, I, I wanted to, I had a list of people that I wanted to meet and uh, you were on that list and I was on my way out. I had family obligations and then just on the way out, you know, ran into you and then, you know, I, I was late at my family obligations, but well worth it. Well worth it. But definitely good to, to, to see you. I knew you were kind of short on time. So at least I'm glad that I got to meet you and you introduced me to some other cool people too. So that was, that was good. As I kind of mentioned while I was there, I noticed there's a few people that I knew there, but not very many. And I was thinking I need more Canadian friends. And so you were help you're able to help me accomplish that. So <laughs> awesome. That's good. Good to hear. I love connecting people. It's great. Yeah, it's what that's one of the things I love too. And that's kind of part of my mission with the podcast is to introduce people because, you know, the interesting stories we have on the show is very helpful to people trying to get started out. I mean, there's cases where I've had people that were just breaking in or people just trying to break in, sharing their story. And I think, you know, it's just like introducing people, you know, it's just helpful sometimes when uh, people get to meet someone, learn their story, you know, good networking opportunity and sometimes just good motivation and inspiration. Yeah. And I, I think the value there is that everybody has a different way of getting into the industry. It's not like a uh, certain, certain careers you always go and, you know, this is the way, if you go to the good schools, you go to the good places, you meet the right people and, and everything else, that's the way in. But I know most of my uh, entourage, or I shouldn't say entourage, but friends, or, or, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. uh, people that I know that are in the industry, they all have a different story to tell and a different way to get there. And I think that's important to share with people because, um, you know, it just shows that, you can get in this industry. Like everybody's so accommodating and, and, and so happy to, to see everybody succeed and everybody has a different path. So it's good to talk to people and understand uh, you know, how, how they made it. Yeah. Just, just the same way it's helpful to have diversity and security, diversity of stories is just as important. Exactly. Exactly. It's just awesome. proving to someone they can do it sometimes, you know, because it's just kind of like a, a sports analogy I like to use. And I kind of, someone is pretty well-known influencer that does podcasts and some live streaming and all this. I recently heard them using one of my analogies. And one of the analogies I like to, to use is like a sports analogy. You, you know, you take some of the different type of runs, whatever meter run, uh, the record stands for so long and then someone breaks it. And then once they break that record, a bunch of people start breaking. And it's just a matter sometimes of proving to others it can be done. And that's the same thing you know, with anything 
outside of the physical realm, the mental realm, you know, education, academic, uh, professional. Yeah. It helps. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and it's so cool to see, you know, um, it's so cool to see people succeed and seeing them finally get that one job that they wanted or, or convincing them that they're, you know, they're worth more. They should apply for that job, even though they don't have all the skills in helping them out. And then, you know, they, they, they get it and they paid forward. And that, that whole thing is, is cool. And it, it's a, uh, it's a great community uh, is all I can say really. Yeah, definitely. For sure. I've been parts of other communities before because from powerlifting, you know, powerlifting community and just the physical fitness industry. And, you know, I had some good friendships from that, but man, just overall, the cybersecurity community has just been so much better. Yeah. And, um, I would say that we have more bears, uh, you know, with, with the, uh, the, the Russian crews right now, the site, the, the nation state actors and CrowdStrike naming them bears. So, um, I mean, you, you can follow, following those, uh, that career path to going from bear to bear, I guess. And that's a question <laughs> I had for you. I, I'm kind of embarrassed that I never really listened to any time that you're speaking about how you got in the industry and like, how does somebody go from wrestling a bear? If, if nobody knows, you know, Google it, it's a great story. How does somebody go from there to doing what you do now? Like, what was that switch? What, what, what was that mind switch? <laughs> sure. It's, it was kind of interesting because when I graduated high school, I really didn't take high school seriously. But I never, it was never an option. I was never going to drop out, drop out. I was going to get, you know, my diploma. And so when I graduated high school, my grade point average was pretty low compared to the college entrance exam. Either I would have had to take the studied and took the entrance exam again, or either get some letters from some of my high school teachers. And I think they need like eight letters or something like that. I could have got the letters, but at that point I just wasn't, really wasn't that motivated to go to college. So my friends, I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do for a living. And so my friends, since I was a powerlifter, said, hey, you should be a pro wrestler. So I went to wrestling school. And so when I wrestled the bear, I was also working as a bouncer at a nightclub. So I, getting started out wrestling, you know, I wasn't making enough to make a living off of it. So I had to do something else. So I was working as a bouncer in a nightclub. And we had special events that uh, they would host on Sundays because they have bands Thursdays through Saturday but they really couldn't justify and it wasn't worth the money to pay that extra day for the band on a Sunday because the turnout was kind of light. So they would have these other uh, special events. And so they had this wrestling bear coming in. Uh, it was open to anyone else to wrestle, not just me and to kind of market it since I was kind of a hometown guy and worked at the nightclub, they took some of my wrestling promo pictures in the bear picture and put those up to market the event. And so that's kind of how and why that happened. Right. But, and, and, and where does the flow go from that to cybersecurity? Like what, when did you get into cybersecurity? You actually got, uh, got married and I needed a more stable career, something with, with health insurance and a steady paycheck and decent money. And I went through so many different jobs. I'd worked retail sales. I'd worked manual labor. I roofed houses. I put up fences, all sorts of construction and none of those jobs I really liked and they didn't pay very well. And what really kind of prompted me to do something education-wise, I was working in this jewelry store and it's probably one of the jobs I enjoyed the most. I was a jewelry salesperson. I've always been kind of competitive. So I was always number one or number two in sales and that jewelry store and the family that owned it was this, this Lebanese family, these Lebanese brothers. 
they had a chain of jewelry stores called Nasser Brothers, and they wanted to open up another chain called Baldwin Jewelers. It sounded more American. They thought it would help them. This was their this was their attempt to be like a a big nationwide jewelry chain, and so they wanted me to work for them. And they they had ideas of wanting to me to you know eventually be a manager, and so they had a manager over this store, and it was kind of between me and this other person to be like assistant manager. And his thoughts didn't align with the the owners of the jewelry store's thoughts. So uh, at that point, I kind of thought, you know, I've got to gain some skills that I can succeed regardless of politics, although politics do affect you in cybersecurity, but you still can make a decent living. And, and it doesn't, I guess, affect you as negatively as it does in those lower paying jobs like that. Mm-hmm. So one day I was watching television and they had this, this uh, commercial on for this trade school that was teaching AutoCAD. And so I always liked to draw. So I thought maybe this would be a good career path. And so I went to school and learned AutoCAD, worked in AutoCAD for a few years. And that's when I found out about sysadmin work. Right. Uh, taught myself how to build computers, took a Novell Netware certification course, a CNE certification course, and got my first job. So I did sysadmin work for six years, uh, moved into cybersecurity, was in basically network security and operations type security from 2004 till 2005. And the company hired a new CISO and the CISO put me on the AppSec team. And that's where I found out about pen testing. I was managing the third party pen tests as well as doing some web app vulnerability scanning. And so that's kind of how I got my intro to pen testing. And then I got laid off in 2012 and applied for a consulting role for Verizon in their consulting vision as a pen tester. So that's kind of where I've made my, pivot in from nice. wrestling to, uh, to, <laughs> to the pen testing. <laughs> it, it sounds, it sounds, it sounds like, uh, you know, was, uh, I'm, I was trying to, as you were telling the story, I was trying to make the link between the two and trying to see like what, what, you know, what are the commonalities? And, and I think the one that I, I landed on was you either win or you lose, you either the computer either works or it doesn't work. You either find a vulnerability or you don't. Right. So it's, there's yeah. no gray area. So um, I, I think that's a big one and something I'm struggling with now because, you know, I, I'm also a pen tester and, and again, it's either it's, there's a vulnerability or there's not, either it works or it doesn't work. But I'm kind of, you know, I, I've been diving in the last few years into more on the risk assessment sides and everything else. And it, that, that's a bit harder to, to put into that zero. There's a lot of gray area, right? So you look at the threat and you go, okay, so this threat is going to maybe, um, um, you know, show up, but it might also not. So how do you make that? It's not a zero or one. What's the probability of this to happen and everything else? And I think um, a lot of the folks that I work with these days, uh, they also come from a very binary world. And and it's it's something that's hard to communicate sometimes. I'm actually having a hard time communicating it now as I'm trying to explain it to you. <laughs> and, and it's not in front of executives or, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that, that link really happen but that's cool i mean we were talking before the show a little bit about my friend who uh you know started in the kitchen and i find that that's the interesting stories you wrestle the bear everybody everybody seemed to have a really cool i don't want to say weird but a cool background right um it's such a it's such a, a a young career it's such a young field that most of the people they they came up through the system and the network and then and everything else you know i know that when i went to school there was no cybersecurity program it was not it wasn't it wasn't even an afterthought 
Um, but as people started attacking and as the, that digital transformation started to happen, you needed somebody in those roles and you needed somebody now. So you're not going to wait four years or two years or three years to build this, this skill. You're just going to go and find people in who are already kind of protecting networks and systems and things like that and bring them into this field. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a cool story, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So, so speaking of stories, how about your story? So how to kind of tell us your background, how you got started. Sure. So, um, it's very similar, like I just said, you know, system admin and network admin, but I, I grew up in a household that my dad was a, was a, a, a teacher in a high school and he t taught technology. So, you know, I had the Apple one at home. We had all the, all the, all the computers. Uh, we we're probably the first people to have the internet in the city at, at home and everything else. And not to date myself, but I was, I was a senior in high school when we got internet, you know, first time I got on the internet, I was a senior in high school. So, um, technology was always a part of my life, but I, I was also, you know, out in the woods a lot, um, lived in a small town, hundred acres behind the house. I was always playing around the woods and everything else. So when it came time to make that decision, it was either, you know, do something with ecology, the environment or technology. And I mean, being outdoors is great, but there's a lot of bugs. So I figured I'd go in <laughs> cybersecurity because there's no bugs there. No way. Yeah, there are. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> are they as a, no they're just not as physical, I guess. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I went, went to school for uh, computer science um, and worked 14, 15 jobs before I found the one that, you know, I'm, I, I was really passionate about uh, and it was cybersecurity. Um, my, my foray into cybersecurity is not as cool as uh, starting pen testing. It was straight up through PCI DSS, you know, working in financial systems and things like that. We needed to be PCI DSS certified. Um, so we took a server that was in a closet to a, you know, data center, full segmentation, full network segmentation, everything else. So really cut my chops on the networking side at that job. That, that must've been like, let's say 2005, 2006, um, and started doing a little bit of pen testing through that. But, uh, when, when I finally got the chance to do pen testing full time, because it was, it was my passion, I, I think, and, and I'm sure it's the same for you, uh, Philip, where there are people and moments in your life that made such a huge difference. And, you know, my, my, I, I, I would still call a mentor, the, the, the person that gave me that first pen test and trusted me enough to go in there uh, and, and do the testing um, that triggered something in me. And it was what I wanted to do. And I, I, I don't think I, I, I was such a perfectionist on that one job. And it was the first time in my life that that ever happened. I always had that attention to detail and everything else, but that first pen test, it was so much of what I wanted to do that I made sure that the most amazing job that I could. And that just led to more and more engagements and things like that and became a consultant. And, you know, I'm sitting here with, with a few hundred penetration testing engagements under my belt. Um, and it's, you know, those people, they, they do a huge difference. Now I was talking to somebody earlier um, today or yesterday, how you have these positive mentors these positive people that show you how to do the things right and everything else but i've had the opposite too right i've had people that showed me what not to do <laughs> and th those <laughs> names i won't name but you you know you you have those people too so you you're, you're just you need to be a sponge and just absorb everything um and, and i think that that's what led me to be able to do what i want to do is just grab those little things and grab onto them and say like hey this person gave me my first pen test i want to do that for somebody 
And, and I'm trying to do that now when I get engagements, I'll get students to do the first five, six, seven hours of enumeration and running the, the tools and the scans and then asking them to go through the results and analyze it for me and, and, and tell me what they would do next and, and all that stuff. And this is what my mentor did for me at the time. And I think that helped a lot. That's a great idea. Cause another thing too, is the, the boring, tedious stuff you're able to give to someone else that would totally enjoy that and love it. And at the same time too, you're giving them experience. It would just, it'd be nice to see, see more of that. I know there's some cases that people get that, but there's so many times that, you know, these companies want X amount of experience, but no one's willing to give anyone, you know, a break and get in. Cause that's like my first pen testing job. You know, I had experience with vulnerability scanning. I didn't have the hacking part down. I needed to learn that. So I took the OSCP whenever I started that, that job, but you know, the, the hiring manager took a, you know, took a chance on me because he saw that I was teaching myself at home. And some of the things I brought up was how I taught myself uh, web design and how I was hosting, you know, a web server at home for my customers and all this. And that's the thing that he really liked because that hiring manager was always telling us, build something, learn how to build it. And then you can figure out how to, you know, assess the security. And that's where I just kind of lucked out and got a break there. There's a lot of cases he could easily turn me down and it would have been justified. Do you ever wake up in the middle of the night in cold sweats thinking of what that initial web server that you've put up, all the vulnerabilities that are in it and how easy it would have been to hack oh, into yeah. it? Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would have been been like holes like Swiss cheese because, I mean, yeah. it was connected to the internet. I really didn't do anything firewall-wise or anything like that. Just whatever was on the Linux operating system, just the bare minimum yeah. protection. And I think there's a huge imposter syndrome in the industry too, because like you said, um, given that first chance, getting that first uh, contract, getting those first things that you can do and you get there and you're like, why me? Right. I don't have the skills. You look at everybody around you, but what you don't realize is everybody's always, if you stop and you think you're like, why me? Why am I here? Like, you know, there's better people than me. There's always, and I think the imposter syndrome is huge in this industry. I don't know if it comes from the fact that there, you can never, you can never go to school and learn it. Now you can, which is great. So you get these teachers, you get everybody, you get the, the, the formal education, but we, I know I never had any formal education in cybersecurity. I've got, I'm looking at my wall right now. I've got way too many certs, but that was how I really learned about the industry, but it's all self-taught. It's all going through the courses. It's all going through the stuff. And that's why I, I, you know, I find what you do, your books, your, 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 your training, your content online, everything else. I find that that brings a lot of value to people and it's great to see. Yeah. It's one of the things that I, I do like to see that there's some good affordable options out there in the industry that people are putting out some yeah. free to low cost content, which is good. But it's when you, definitely different than what it was even five, 10 years ago. Oh yeah. Yeah, Very definitely. Different. Cause whenever, you know, I was starting my first pen touch job, which actually before I got that role, I got to go to Foundstone's ultimate hacking course. Right. So I got to attend that. So that was, that was pretty cool. The, the only downside was, is I was kind of weak in those skills to really fully take advantage of that course. And it took like an ethical hacking course several years later. But, you know, just not having those skills. But, yeah, there wasn't much out there. You know, when I was looking for stuff, fortunately, when I was researching pen testing courses, when I got my first pen test job, I found the OSCP, which was a really good 
opportunity. I learned a lot. I probably learned more from that course than any other course that I've ever tried. It, it was a, a big help, but yeah, but it's good now that there's some more af- affordable uh, courses. You know, one of the things too is, you know, some people kind of complain about the price of the OSCP course and, and that and it may not be affordable. But one of the things I think a lot of people don't realize now is back whenever, you know, earlier in our careers, only people that were taking those courses or someone typically that was already working in IT and you made enough that you could afford to pay out of pocket for one of those courses. And now we're kind of shifted now where you got people that are totally brand new. Like you mentioned one of your friends that, that start out as a cook, you know, as a chef working in a kitchen. Now, someone like that, from that background, it may be a little more uh, cost prohibitive to take the OSCP course, but you know, back when we were going through it, it's like you were working IT already or working in security and you could afford that. And so now you've got the shift where back then no one knew what the OSCP was unless you were in security. And a lot of people in security didn't know about the, the OSCP. So there's been some big changes there. Yeah. And, and, and now there's courses that you can take that are not cost prohibitive and, and some people doing amazing things in the industry that giving stuff away for free, pay what you can, you know, or, or charging 30 bucks for a course as opposed to thousands or hundreds. And that allows people to be able to actually access that content. And even, even um, one of the things that I tell people a lot is even though you don't go through the exam, even though you don't get a certification at the end, that's going to help a lot to get the jobs and everything else. But if you, if you're networking correctly and you're, you're part of the right volunteer groups and the nonprofits and the community and everything else, um, then you're going to meet some people. They're, they're going to know how smart you are. You don't need those letters after your name, but those letters are important when you go on an engagement, you know, a lot of the proposal, the call for proposals are asking for certain certifications and everything else. And it makes sense. And, and, I mean, I'm not one that's going to bash certifications. I've got a ton of them um, and they've helped me, but they're not the be all and end all. You need to study it to learn it, not study it to pass the exam. And like you said, with, with the course that you took way back when, I, I, I was lucky enough to do some pretty good training, but you don't get a certificate at the end. You, you, you can put it on your resume or your, 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 your resume that says that, you know, you went through this four, four day intensive course or whatnot, but nobody knows what it is. And it's better than most of the search that I have after my name on my signature that everybody goes and sees and they're all impressed with. Well, that's not what you should be impressed with. It's this core, this super intensive course that I took that was very hard and we learned some new skills and some new, new techniques and things like that, but, but it's, it's not part of the certification program. So it, there, there's a balance to be had there. Uh, Cause you can definitely fall into the trap of, I need more letters. I need more letters after my name. And, and some, some of my friends will laugh because they, that's why they laugh at me because I had too many letters after my name, <laughs> but um, it's not the only thing I, I'm always constantly learning, not because of what it brings me in, in the sense of, recognition, but more in the sense of learning and finding out new things. I think that's important too. Yeah, that's a good point because you see, you know, you know, someone goes through all this time to prepare for this certification. And even if you get past the certification, if you don't really retain what you learn, then when it's time to go through those interviews, you're not going to do very well. And an example where something like that kind of helped me at the moment, but it was just kind of a, a point that proved to me that some of these boot camps are not for everyone. I went through a CCNA boot camp back like in 2000 and got my CCNA fairly easy. And, and there for about a good 
couple weeks, maybe a month, I could answer some questions Cisco related, but I really didn't know it. It was just from using the practice test. But then after that month, you know, six months later, a year later, I couldn't tell you anything about Cisco. And I just, I got the certification, but you know, it's just kind of one of the things, the stigma is associated with, with uh, certifications back in the late nineties and early two thousands, because some people refer to refer to people as paper MCSEs. They go through a boot camp, uh, you know, memorize all these questions, pass the test, but they couldn't do the job. The instructor uh, walking behind you going, like, are you sure on that one? You know, just, just <laughs> inching you towards the right answer. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was when the CCNA wasn't lab based at all. I, I believe it's lab based now. I think you need to go through some hands on training. And that's a huge one, too, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I can learn everything about a Cisco router in a book. But when I go to put my hands on the keyboard to write the command and I freeze because I'm afraid of crashing everything or I, I mistype something, then um, yeah, no, no, I, I, I get exactly what you're saying, but in the consulting world, they're, they're king, you know, it's, it's, it's good. It's, it shows on paper that you have the skills to do certain things and it might get your foot in the door, same way as an interview, but as a, as a, as a contractor, if, or as, as a consultant, if you get your foot in the door and the, the pro product that you deliver at the end, that report or, or, or the work that you're doing, it's not good. You're not going to get the next one anyways. So you better be sure that those letters are representative of your, your actual knowledge right yeah yeah and i think people kind of you know i think also too it kind of hurts the the certifications when people do that they just do enough to get the certification because then once a hiring manager sees enough people with this certification come through and they're not good employees doesn't don't know what they're doing then that just kind of gives the the certification a bad name so it's kind of if you got a certification i think it's kind of up to you to try to represent it the best you can so you don't ruin that investment for yourself and for others. Yeah. Uh, I just thought of something uh, I wanted to bring up and, and something I wanted to say about my, my, um, my journey into here. I was really into technology as a kid. And, and like I said, we had um, internet at home in the, in, in the late nineties, I would say. And uh, I was on IRC a lot and um, I was in those hacker channels. I, I was really obsessed with the community and everything else. And I had all the text files and knowing how to do stuff, but I was so afraid of authority. And I don't know if it's because both my parents were teachers and I couldn't get away with anything or whatever else, but I was so <laughs> afraid of authority that I would never have done anything bad. So when I say that, you know, I was given a, a chance to do a pen test, maybe 15, 10, 15 years later, I think that knowledge was kind of still there and it was finally time to kind of put it into play. I mean, you know, I wasn't hacking Novell Network stuff at the time, not not in 2005, though I did work with it through my uh, system in career, but those skills stay with you. The beauty today is that we have all these platforms that, that we can go and play with and try stuff. You can build your lab. There was no way that I could build a network at home and, and try to, to do some, some Active Directory hacking through my lab at home. And there was no way that I would have access to that on the internet somewhere either. So it's, we're using technology more and more and we're seeing more breaches and everything else, but there's more opportunities to actually learn. So um, I don't think we're out of balance because there's way too many breaches that you hear about as opposed to, to what it was a while back, but at least now you can go and you can practice. And, and that's, that's beautiful. I like that. Yeah. It's kind of nice because you know, one time it, you're, pretty dependent on having a home lab. And now there's so much stuff in the cloud because used to my main recommendation would, would be build a home lab and there's nothing wrong with that. But when you figure there's all these options out there that can have a lot more targets that what you could have in a home lab and then, 
you factor in what if something breaks in your home lab and you're spending time trying to fix it instead of spending the time learning like you need to be. Yeah, there's value there to fixing stuff, but you yeah. know, um, and and you know what that that brings up the same thing that we were talking about earlier around system admin and network admin and doing that work. Um, I think it's important to cut your teeth there too a little bit at least, and that's where the home lab comes in, where you're actually learning these things. Uh, you know, what does a packet look like when it's traversing a wire? Why is it that this is not getting through? Why is it that um, the system keeps crashing? How do I read these logs and everything else? And how do I protect it? Those are very important skills for a pen tester to have because then our job is to break it. So if you know how it works, it's a lot easier to break it than, than not really getting the, 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 the practical skills of, of you know, pr protecting and, and building things. Uh, I, I like the quote of, um, you know, I only have to, you have to stop me every time. I only have to get through once. But if you're on the, I have to stop you every time side for a while, you're going to learn a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a ton. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then under, understanding why you need to do these certain things and, and say, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's some good points there. And, uh, you know, learning to build one of the things too is, is, uh, you know, if you're, if you're got that sysadmin level knowledge, and you get a shell on a system, then you know what to do. You're not doing a bunch of Googling, you know, yeah, figuring out yeah. what to do from the or command chat line. GPT these days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is another interesting world. Yeah. So what, what do you, so what do you think about chat GPT and what it kind of means for the, the future of our jobs? Uh, the future of our, I, I think it's exciting to be completely honest. I think there's disruptive technologies all the time. This is one of them. And I, I sincerely believe that, the people they're going to find a way to embrace in such a way that they're not dependent on it to the point where they're losing skills and they're using it as a tool of, to be more efficient or to come up with new ideas or, or to try new things. Um, I mean, you know, as well as I do that when you're in a pen test, you, you're going to hit a technology you've never seen and you're going to be Googling the crap out of it to understand how this thing works. So using a AI tool that can go out there and give you the information quicker than what you could find through Googling is going to be, uh, or search engineing, I guess we should say, um, <laughs> is would is going to be interesting. Um, but from a risk perspective of using these tools inside of companies and everything else, then there's a lot of thought process that needs to happen. And, and I saw just lately, I think it's either CISA or somebody, somebody else, uh, another agency in the US that, that just said, Hey, here's a hundred thousand dollars. If you want to spend a year thinking about this, like, you know, it's, it's <laughs> people are taking it seriously. Uh, you know, we've, we've seen models do weird things we've seen, but like any new technology, it needs to be embraced because it's not going to go away. It's, it's way too good. Yeah. And you yeah. like what, how do you feel about it? I like it. I think it's good. I, I use it a lot for writing. I use it for show notes on my podcast. I'll feed the transcript in, have it write summaries for me. The biggest thing I've, one of the biggest values I've seen is in, in writing. You know, I've yeah. had a friend that was looking for a new job and I just basically asked her, what kind of job are you looking for? And all this. And I was able to take a little bit of information and write up a nice little LinkedIn post to share for her, to help her get attention for her job search. And that was really quick. I mean, it was something that took less than 30 seconds that would have taken me time to write it out. Does this sound right or whatever going back and forth that was able to quickly come up with something. So the writing thing I really like, I think some of the areas that we 
need improvement on is sometimes the data sources where it's pulling information from to get accurate data. Because, you know, sometimes if you don't know any better, if you're trying to write an article on this and you're using chat GPT, you may get some, some wrong information in there because of data sources. But if we could, it would be nice to be able to select like data sources you're pulling from to help create that. And I think what's going to be cool too, is we see how, you know, once upon a time, people didn't have vulnerability scanners for pen test. It was more, more manual, more port scanning and then manual vulnerability detection. So what's going to happen with some of these next gen uh, vulnerability scanners and some of these next generation tools, how are those going to work? Maybe even some of the breach and attack simulation stuff that we're able to use on, on tests to make some of that easier. And yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, that, yeah, I, that's my same experience with me. Um, so I have, um, so I founded a group here. It was originally an OWASP chapter, uh, but we kind of moved away from it and it, it really is a, we call it a collective. And it really is a collective. It's just a bunch of people that get together and without titles, without job descriptions, sometimes without even names, right? And we, we hang out in Discord channels and I've been playing around in there with AI a lot. And uh, coming back to your data source, um, like right before I hopped on on this uh, on this show, we were having the discussion how you can basically tune the AI to say I have I'm risk adverse when it comes to false information. So it might not be as good. It might not be, it might not pull from as many different places, but you can say, I just want real information. I don't want you to make anything up. If you do not know, do not pretend that, you know, and you can actually tune those models to do that, which, which I thought was interesting, which I I'm interested in playing with, but yeah, listen, if it can just get rid of false positives, I think the world's going to be a much better place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make, make life a lot easier. I know it's one of the most boring things on pen tests sometimes is going through validating things to see if they're false positives or not. And then especially depending on the type of pen testing you have to do when you get all those SSL and TLS related issues that you have to go through and validate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and if it can create a good reporting, uh, like a, a good reporting tool, uh, you know, there's some good ones out there. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, crap on any of them but it's I, I don't think we're at the pinnacle of what we can do when it comes to taking results and creating a report with them like i think we're not quite there <laughs> yeah and if, if it can fix that part that, that would be great too um yeah i moved away from pen testing for a little bit because of that you know the 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 fact that it becomes repetitive uh mm -hmm. became like i just want to do other things I'm, I'm getting bored and i felt bad for a long time because you know i'm around people that do want to do this as a full-time job and everything else. And here I am with, with my, my dream job. This is what I always wanted to do. People would love to be in my position. I'm sitting here and I'm bored, you know, not another report, not another HSTS missing header, you know, <laughs> it just got boring <laughs> after a while. And, um, and, and I moved away from it for a little bit and, and now I'm doing it a bit more and I'm having fun again. You know, sometimes it's okay to, to, to move away from things. Yeah. Yeah. It's good, to, good to have breaks sometimes and, and sometimes good to specialize because if you're doing all of it and you're not really getting to spend enough time in one area, then it's sometimes it's kind of hard to, to get better. So it seems like sometimes yeah. specializing may be a good option. Yeah. And, and the, the tie in with that was reporting was a chore and that's why I thought of it with, with the, the AI tools and everything else. Um, it should make that a bit better, um, but yeah, it's great. Like it, that, you know, that, uh, group that I have, the collective, 
that we have, I should say. Um, I was trying to find ways to promote it. And uh, I just asked the tool to say, hey, can you give me just some ideas? And what would have taken somebody like me weeks and weeks and weeks of building a marketing plan or building material or stuff like that to send emails to, to people that might be interested in this and everything else. It, it just wrote everything up. It's beautiful. Because um, that's the idea with the group. I want to get junior folks to be able to do those things. So I had offers from marketing uh, com companies that kind of sponsor us to do the marketing. I was like, no, you, you do that all day. That's your expertise. Let's give it to somebody who might not have or needs the the experience to put on their resume. Same thing with pen testing that I do. But the marketing stuff just didn't work out because I guess us cybersecurity folks, we're not that great at marketing. Except for you with your show, right? <laughs> <laughs> it depends on what you're trying what you're trying to market. You know, is yeah. the, the good thing about these kind of resources is there's a lot of people looking for ways to figure out how to get started. And those usually seem yeah. to be, you know, that along with books too, books on how to get started are pretty popular. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it's fun. Um, having a blast. What's well, good. It's, yeah. So what, what advice would you have for someone that wants to get into offensive security? Um, learn the fundamentals, right? It's, it, it really is um, the number one thing to really understand what's going on behind the scenes. Um, you know, I've, I was skiing and I saw, uh, I don't know how to point, I'm in, I'm in a skitter here. I was skiing and I saw this skid, right? Like a script kitty skitter. And I thought, hey, that's mine. <laughs> okay. so I had to buy the sign. That's why that sign is there. Oh, uh, cool. I was making fun of it, you know? And, uh, but yeah, don't, don't, don't be a skid, I guess. Don't be a script kitty. Just understand. And, and you don't have to write your own tools. You don't have to write your own exploits, but just don't run something without understanding what's going on. Just don't, don't just run that Metasploit module. Go and read up as to why this is a problem. Learn the stuff that's happening. And I guess that's the same for any any um, uh, any type of technical career is you really want to understand what's going on. You don't need to go down to the assembly code or the binary code or anything like that, but at least understand why is it when I send this, I get a shell back, right? What's happening in the background? Some of it will be way over your head but at least you, you tried and you're learning and the more you're exposed to it, the better you'll become. And, uh, that, that's a big part for me is, is understanding. The other part is like, when I talk about fundamentals, I mean, networking systems, learn Linux, don't just learn the commands, understand what's going on. Right. And whenever I hire somebody, anytime I hire somebody, I tell the hiring manager or, 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 or my direct supervisor or the HR folks, I say, all of this stuff is fluff in the job description. What I'm really hiring for is that last bullet point that I always put in, and it's thirst for knowledge and curiosity. Everything else I can teach, I might not have the time to teach it, but I can't teach people to be curious. I can't teach people to want to know stuff, right? And I think that's the number one part in this job is just be curious, just try stuff. Just go like, when you see something, you're like, I wonder how that works. Don't just wonder, figure out how it works. Right. And, and you'll, there's, there's no way that you're not going to accomplish everything you want to do if, if you're, if you don't have that mindset. Yeah, that that's great advice. So we're getting down towards the end of the show. Is there anything you'd like to share before we close it out? No, really. Listen, uh, it's a great chat. Um, if anybody wants to uh, to talk, if anybody wants to reach out, feel free. I think I don't know if you share the uh, details of uh, of the people that are on your show or you share their socials or whatnot. Um, 
if anybody yes. can help me figure out Twitter, my brain just doesn't work. Well, not Twitter, Blue Sky now, <laughs> but if my brain just doesn't work. I lose LinkedIn. Um, I'm trying to get my brain to work with, with Blue Sky, but it's the flow works weird. But uh, yeah, if somebody wants to teach me that, that'd be awesome. Uh, but yeah, yeah so. um, I'll share, share my socials. Anybody who wants to reach out, feel free. Awesome. I'll, always happy to talk. I yeah, we'll have that in the show notes if anyone wants to reach out to, to Julian. So I appreciate you joining today. It was This has been a, a really fun conversation. Yeah, a little bit all over the place, just like my brain is usually. So uh, love it. It was a, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to The Philip Wiley Show. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, to learn more about Philip, go to thehackermaker.com and connect with him on LinkedIn and Twitter at Philip Wiley. Until next time.